As a mom, you wear a lot of hats, and sometimes it seems like you're going in a million directions at once. At the 29-Minute Mom, we want to give you the tools to bring it all under control and reach your highest potential. If you give us a few minutes, we'll help you find those extra hours you need every week to achieve balance and satisfaction in everything you're trying to get done. The 29-Minute Mom. It's time just for you. And now, here's your host, life's organization expert, author and coach, Jennifer Ford-Berry. Hello, everybody listening out there. This is Jennifer Ford-Berry back again with another episode of the 29-Minute Mom, where we know every minute of your very busy day counts. And today, you're going to want to stop and pause what you're doing to listen to the show because it's about something I know a lot of moms struggle with, making other people happy. So I want to first welcome to the show my guest, Karen Eamon. Hey, how are you doing? Great. Thank you so much for being on the show. If you don't know about Karen already, I just want to remind you, she's a Proverbs 31 ministry speaker. She's a best-selling author of 17 books. That's very impressive. And she's a mom of three. She's married to her high school sweetheart, Todd. I love that. And um, she has a brand new book out called When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable how to break the pattern of people pleasing and confidently live your life, which great name, by the way, love this book. So welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me on. You're, we're so happy you're here. I know that a lot of moms that are going to be listening to the show are already have their ears perked up like, yes, this is me. So um, first of all, I want to know why you felt it was important to write a book about this topic. Well, I've struggled with people pleasing my entire life. It started when I was young. I think I wanted my teachers to be pleased with me. I wanted kids on the playground to like me and include me in whatever game they had going. And as I got older, it only got worse, you know, as a teenager and young adult. And finally, about four years ago, I just came to a point where I hit a wall and I knew that I was stretched too thin because I was so busy saying yes to everything. So people would like me. And so I wouldn't disappoint them or upset them. And I was just tired of living my life based on the opinions and expectations of everybody else. It started to make me have some physical manifestations. I couldn't sleep very well. My mind was racing and I had a twitch in my left eye that wouldn't go away. And I knew I needed to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so God led me on a a journey of breaking out of the prison of people pleasing. And I had a lot of people that are in my circle of friends say, wow, you should really, you should really write about this because I, I need to do what you've done. And, you know, because they've saw, they saw how it helped me and it changed my life. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to see if there's other people out there that might need a little bit of help in this uh, area and share with them what God taught me. Yeah. Do you find that people, I know everybody can suffer from this, but do you feel like Christians specifically feel more guilty if they don't help others constantly and say yes to everything that everybody needs? Do you think it's a bigger problem for us? Yeah, that's very insightful because what I believe is that it's a strength that gets carried to an extreme. And now well, we don't say at our house weakness. We don't use that word. It's now a non-strength. Let's mm-hmm. say that. So yeah, as Christians, we're supposed to love, we're supposed to serve and, 
and put others before ourselves. And that's all well and good when we're doing it because God's called us to. But when it gets taken to an extreme and it crosses a line is when we're not doing something because we feel like the Lord's called us to do it. We're doing it because the other person expects us to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's one of my favorite quotes in the book actually is on page 13, where it's Galatians 1:10, And it says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I thought that really hit home when I read it because it's, we think that by doing all these yeses, we actually are being a servant of Christ, but we have to put him first. Right. 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 Yeah. And it's not that there aren't times that pleasing God holds hands with pleasing people. I mean, there are a lot of times when we do something, it pleases the Lord, even mm -hmm. though we're doing it for someone else, but it's when those two things kind of, you know, butt up against each other, maybe God's really called you in this next season to be home in the evenings because you've got a child that's struggling in school and you need to help them with their homework or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And you really feel the Lord's calling you to be home, but then somebody has, I don't know, a Tupperware party. Not that I'm against Tupperware, but you know, they have <laughs> something going on in the evening and they really want you to come because boy, if you come and you make an order, then they're going to win that great hostess gift. And you yeah. know, <laughs> you, just, you just are met with, but I really feel the Lord's called me to stay home in this season. So I need to say no, which is not going to please the person, but it will please God. Yes, absolutely. So you realized that you were having, you were struggling with this and you decided to, um, take a season in your life, which happened to be the season of summer. And you call it the summer of necessary and no, right. And you talk yes. about this in the book. So tell yes. us a little bit about what does a season of necessary and no look like? And then how did it help you start looking at people pleasing differently? So this happened around that time when I hit the wall, when I realized I had just said yes to too many things. And I had actually just said yes to a kind of small request from my best friend from college. But when I hung up the phone from her, I knew that what I'd said yes to, that was going to be throughout the duration of the summer, just a week, uh, a time or two a week. I knew that I should have said no. And I remember going out to the fire pit at the back of our property and just sitting there and bawling, just bawling. And I just thought I got to learn to say no. And so my phone was with me and I grabbed it and I put in the words people and please. And that verse you just spoke of in Galatians came up and there were all these different instances. So I started really studying and I, after a couple of days, I knew what I needed to do. I felt the Lord calling me to a summer or a season of necessary and no. And what that meant was I was to do only what was necessary for my family, my home and my job, my ministry and say no to everything else back out of everything I'd said yes to. And even if it was something really simple, like making cookies for the toddler class at church that summer. Now that might sound like a, a simple thing, but I honestly, Jennifer, I've been doing that for 25 years. Like ever <laughs> since I was in high school, I've been making good. And so I just knew I needed to completely clear my plate so that I could rest and I could take all my requests to God and ask him what he wanted me to put back on my plate at the mm -hmm. end of that season. And I'd love to say that everyone was supportive. Um, they weren't some people you could tell they were disappointed, but you know, they weren't mad at me, but they were like, Oh, great. Now I got to find someone to make cookies, but I offered to help them find a replacement. I gave them a couple weeks notice and some people were ticked off. And because I quit saying yes to the things they were asking me to help with, they kind of split the scene. And I realized, you know, maybe they weren't really my friend in the first place. They were just 
around me because I knew I was a yes girl and I would jump in every time they had a need. But the people that loved me the most and were closest to me, they're like, we're proud of you. We care about your mental health and your capacity and we support you. It's fine. We'll find somebody else. So it was kind of um, really clarifying for me with some friendships. And it was such, it was hard at first. It was very awkward, but it was such a refreshing break. And it really did help me to sort through what I am supposed to be doing and what I'm not supposed to be doing. Yeah. I love that. And you know, what's interesting about that story, Karen, is that you know, for me, I teach a lot about obviously organization, but also time management. And I always tell women, if you don't take time to be quiet and still and decide what you want your life to look like and how you're going to spend your time, then you will be on this hamster wheel of just every day waking up. And there's a thousand things to do. Your to-do list is staring you in the face. The phone is ringing, the texts are happening, and you don't even have time to decide how you want to live. And so by saying, you know, having a season of hitting pause, I'm sure it gave you a lot of time to think about it and decide what you want your future priorities to look like. You are exactly right. You need that pause and you need that intentionality because if you're not intentional in filling your time, there are dozens of people out there willing to fill it for you, yeah, you know? Absolutely. And so if, if you don't take the bull by the horns and set your own schedule, everyone else sets it for you. Mm-hmm. It's so true. So um, another thing that I love is on page 33, where you wrote, I finally realized that I do not need their permission to do God's will. I feel like that's so important because if you just, you know, one of the, the things I tell my kids that can't mess up in life, if they just constantly ask God to show them his will for their life and pray that his will be done. I said, that's the number one prayer that you can pray um, because his will is best for us. So um, you don't need permission from other people though, to follow that will. And I thought that was really powerful when you wrote that. Um, but in order, but you know, a lot of people think they know what our will should be, right? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And you know, it's kind of the flip side of people pleasing because part of people pleasing and how we traditionally think of it, typically think of it is being pressured to do what someone else wants us to do or to say what someone else wants us to say. We need to say yes to them and do what they want and behave like they want. But the other half of people pleasing is when God is calling you to say yes to him, but you want to not do that because you're so afraid that you're going to lose the approval of someone else or that they're not going to, you know, um, they're not going to agree with your decision. And so sometimes we don't say yes to God because we fear that like we need that other person's permission. We don't, we don't need their permission to do God's will. So true. So the, the women that are listening today and they're like, yes, Karen, this is me. Like they're raising their hand in their car or, you know, wherever they're listening. And they're like, this is me. The, I feel like the number one question they're asking is tell me how you overcame this. Like, give me actionable steps I can take to stop being this people pleaser that is making myself miserable, <laughs> you know? Well, I think what really was beneficial for me is not only taking that pause, like taking that season. And that, that's what I would recommend first, like pull back from some things. So you can just mm -hmm. think clearly, like you were talking about before and get some quiet time to set your own schedule. But I also, I really studied and I, I kind of unpacked this in the book, the difference between the fear of God and the fear of man. Mm -hmm. And in the old Testament, there are two different words used when, even though we get them translated in English, both as fear, but there are two words for fear. One means to tremble and be afraid and be kind of shaken in our boots. 
And then the other one means to have awe and respect. And whenever we are faced with verses that talk about these two, whenever we see the one that's trembling in our boots, it's the fear of man. But the one that's in awe and respect is the fear of God. And I always use this example. I have a son who loves to go hiking. He uh, backpacked for 10 weeks a couple summers ago, all through the national parks in the United States. And, you know, there are times he went around the corner and all of a sudden he was met with a mountain lion. Wow. He had that first kind of fear. He was like trembling and shaking. But other times he, you know, got to the top of a trail and a top of a mountain, he looked out over a beautiful lake or the ocean or whatever. And he was in awe, you know, and we get them mixed up. Like we think that, um, the fear of God is like, we should be afraid of him. No, we should be in awe. We should respect him enough to live life how he calls us to. And he doesn't call us to overserve. You know, he doesn't tell us to, you know, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, but he doesn't say, you know, and, and never say no, you know? Yeah. And we, we just, we get that fear of man and we've got to learn in those times rather than saying, Ooh, what does this person want me to say? You know, what do they want me to do? Instead, we need to just quietly pray, Lord, what do you want me to do? And help me to be brave enough to answer according to what you have called me to do. And when I stopped placing people above God was when the turning point was, because that's what we do. We put people in the place of God when we are living our life according to their will and not his. Mm-hmm. What did you, what were some of your biggest life lessons when you got to that point? Like things you either you learned about yourself that you never thought of before, or just, you know, what, what stood, stood out the most? Well, first of all, I just learned that I could do it because mm-hmm. for, for so many years, I thought, I just can't say no. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, you know, it's that strength carried to an extreme. I'm a Enneagram three wing two for people that are into the Enneagram. I don't think it's the answer to everything in life, but there's <laughs> some interesting things about it. Cause I always get pushback whenever I mention Enneagram, but I'm an achiever slash helper. So people naturally come to me because they know I get things done and they know I like to help. So I thought I was doomed because of my personality that I was just going to always be trapped this way. But I realized that God can help me to stop living in this unhealthy way. That was one big lesson I learned. Um, Probably the other lesson I learned was something that was very surprising to me. I always thought I can't say no to a friend because it's going to affect our friendship. Like they're my friend. Mm -hmm. And if I say no, maybe they don't want to be my friend anymore, or maybe we'll still be friends, but there'll be this little bit of awkwardness going forward. So one of the huge lessons I learned is that you can still say yes to a friendship, but say no to a request from a friend. So maybe they ask you, can you be in charge of this part of this project that they're in, you know, the head of, you can say, no, I can't be in charge of it, but you can still say yes to the friendship by saying, Hey, but I'll brainstorm with you. Who else you might ask, or I'll certainly put it down in my prayer journal and be praying for you about it. And you can call and check on them or text and check on them and see how it's going. You can write them notes in the mail, just, you know, saying, I'm so thankful for our friendship. I'm glad we could be honest with each other. I mean, you can continue to say yes to the friendship, but say no to that one thing they asked you to do. And I used to think that I couldn't, I was so afraid that there would be an awkwardness going forward that I rarely said no to friends. Mm-hmm. But actually, I feel like some of my friendships have strengthened and they're better mm-hmm. because I was kind of caught in that unhealthy pattern with some of them where they just knew, you know, when they got themselves in a tangled up mess, oh, I'll call Karen, she'll help me out. And so I was kind of running in and rescuing them. And 
for some of them, I was preventing them from going to God, the place they should have been headed in the first place. Cause they could just run to me and I would fix their problem. Yeah. Yeah. And also I'm sure there's some that, be, you know, get, you gained respect with just because they probably thought, man, if Karen can be more of a keeper of her time, I can do that too. And, yeah. you know, I'm not going to give away the story you open up in the book with your best friend, but I thought it was super awesome that you shared such a personal story and it speaks volumes of your friendship with this person because of how you wrote about it in the book. You're very transparent. I thought that was great because I think a lot of women can relate to it. Um, one of the things too, that you talk about, there's a section in the book called all the people all the time. And I thought this is something that we're all struggling with where these phones are constantly dinging and ringing. And we feel like we are not being a good person if we don't answer everything immediately. And it's no wonder that we feel exhausted and just almost like we don't even have the mental capacity to help another person in real life because we're constantly being inundated by the phone. And you know, and this, and this kind of coincides with my next question about boundaries is putting those boundaries in place, including with digital technology, where we're like, you know what, I don't check voicemails until 10am or I don't take, you know, one of my rules has always been, and my friends know this, I don't want to talk on the phone after eight o'clock at night. And I'm pretty honest about it, unless it's an emergency or you're in tears. I just, I don't want to, I talk to people all day. So I think figuring out boundaries for um, technology is huge. And you, you talk about it a lot in the book. It actually says, on average, a typical American sends and receives 94 text messages per day and spends about 55 minutes a day just reading and sending these texts. Yes. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. And it's, it's very interesting to me. I loved studying it when I was writing the book, what digital has done to us, because Think about it for most of us listening, most of us, when we were kids, our home was equipped with a landline. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody wanted to call my mom and she wasn't home or she didn't pick up because she was busy, they would, the burden was on the other person to call, keep calling her back till they got her. You know, this is even before answering machines, mm -hmm. but now the burden has completely flipped yeah. and now people all day long can be leaving things on your to-do list. They can send you a text, you know, they can send you a private message on social media or an email and say, you know, hey, give me that link to that, you know, new pair of boots you got that I wanted to know about the other day. You never told me, send me the link, send me the link. I just hate when I get up in the morning, it's gotten better, but I don't have my phone in the room at night. I plug it in in the kitchen, pretend it's an old landline. And in the morning I go out there and I take it off of airplane mode and all of these notifications make their daily dance down from the top of the screen. And I feel like, you know, it's almost as if I'm sitting there with a legal pad and a pen, which is how I like to make mm -hmm. my old fashioned uh, to-do list. And someone has reached over my arm or my shoulder and grabbed the pen out of my hand. And they're putting things on my to-do list. Cause when I look at those notifications, someone has texted me, send me this recipe. Somebody has texted me, I need this address. Somebody, you know, has said, Hey, can you this? Hey, can you do that? And now the burden's on me to return 11 messages. Whereas if it was the olden days and I didn't pick up the phone, the burden would be on them. So we have to really be careful. And I love what you said, you know, say, I'm not going to talk on the phone after a certain time. I've kind of let people in my life know, unless it's work related or an emergency, I don't return mess text messages till after I'm done with work and dinner. So it's going to be like after six o'clock mm -hmm. before you hear back from me, unless it's something super important, because you see, we, we teach people, we train them how to treat us. Yes. 
Yes, I had a friend say that to me years and years ago. Um, there's somebody original that said the quote, I think it's Tony Gaskins Jr. It's a longer quote, but the chunk I pulled out was that you teach people how to treat you. And that's a true statement, you know? And I think all of us can um, attest to this fact. If we, if I were to say, I'm going to give a hundred bucks to you, Jennifer, if you can text someone in your contact list that you know will text you back within one minute, you would probably go, oh, I know who I'll text. Like for me, it's my cousin, Jamie. <laughs> and instantly he'd text me back. And then there might be other people I would say, you know, but who in your contact list, you know, you not, might not hear from for two or three days. What have those people done? In both instances, they've taught you how to treat them because you know which friend, if you need something <laughs> answered right away, you know which friend is going to text you right back. And you know which friend like doesn't mind going and looking up that link on the internet for you. Yeah. And what other people will be like, that's not on my to-do list. You know, I'm not even going to answer this until three days from now. And then I'm going to say, look the link up yourself, you know? <laughs> so in both good and bad ways, we teach people how to treat us in these boundaries. They're like sending out a syllabus, you know, remember in high school or college, when you got a syllabus at the beginning of the year, the, the teacher or the professor was giving you a list of what to expect from that class. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do by our behavior. We need to send out a syllabus to people in our life what they can expect when they interact with us digitally. So good. So good. And I never thought about the burden part where you're saying when they used to call, they'd have to, it was on their to-do list until they got a hold of you. And, you know, I've been guilty of do, even doing that with like companies I have to call, you know, like you got to fix something on a bill or something. And you're like, okay, I made the call. It's in their boat. Now I can just like take that off my list. And then it goes back on your list. If you miss the voicemail. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, man, I kind of miss those days, really. So um, one thing I just want to end with is that I feel like, and you do talk about this in, a little bit in the book, is everybody, you know, I believe everybody's here with a specific purpose from God to do while we're here. And what I love um, on page 153, it's, you say, it fascinates me how Jesus stayed true to his mission, but knew how to manage his interactions with people. And, you know, it's like, if you've ever gone to a big family event or a networking event and you want to talk, you're there to talk to as many people as possible. And then there's this one person that kind of, you know, keeps you for a conversation way longer than you can spend. And you have to think about the polite way to separate. I think Jesus was a master at that. He was there. He knew what his job was kept mingling, he kept moving, he showed love, he showed grace, he showed kindness, but he wasn't letting everyone suck up his time. Yeah, he was the perfect example of somebody who made spending time with God a priority, but who had all kinds of relationships, just like we do. He had family, he had friends, there were times he was with a crowd, there were times he was with just 12 of his closest friends. There was times he was with just three. There were times that he was with his family. There were times he was alone and he knew when to pour out and when to pull back. Yep. And if he could do it, you know, um, we, I think would do well to study his life and to see, like he never diverted from his mission. You know, he said in Luke four that the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was like his main mission, but what it looked like differed from day to day. You know, sometimes he was doing it with crowds. Sometimes, you know, in order to fulfill his mission, he needed to be alone with God. But we, you know, so often feel like we can't pull back, that we have to always pour out to be a good Christian. But if the Lord could pull back, <laughs> then we can too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this book can really help a lot of people. I actually have a friend 
who um, I was telling her about this. And I said, as soon as I'm done reading it, you can borrow it because she said she needs this book. And again, just for everybody listening, it's called When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable. So I encourage everybody to grab a copy or if you know somebody that's struggling with this, grab a copy for them. I mean, um, it's a great gift too, because it's, you know, we all know people that are having a hard time dealing with this topic. So um, grab that book. And, you know, thank you so much, Karen, for being on the show. Thank you for writing the book. I know it's going to help many, many women. Um, We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Thanks everybody else listening out there. Have a wonderful day and stay tuned till the next show. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, sweet friend. Are you tired of feeling overwhelmed and burned out? If so, I totally get it. As moms, we have so much on our plates. It's not easy to take care of everyone, keep up with your to-do list and find time for ourselves, but it can be done. All you need is a step-by-step plan and a system that works. Plus some extra encouragement and accountability doesn't hurt either. That is why I want to formally invite you to my brand new coaching program, the Created Order Neighborhood. The neighborhood is for women just like you that want to live a life of order, calm, intention, and purpose. I promise you, sister, you are not alone in your overwhelm. All you need to do is to decide to move into our community today, and I will help you find more space, time, energy, and money to live a life of purpose and contentment. Just go to my website, jenniferfordberry.com and look for the created order neighborhood. Hope to see you there.